Hello and welcome to another episode of Is This Just Fantasy? I'm... wait a second. Duncan, have you really finished Song of Achilles already? Oh, yet again, Doherty. Oh, sad to say, I haven't got it done in time. But Duncan, it's... it's been a full week and... Oh wait, I guess I am ahead of schedule. Then why are we here today if we're not going to talk about Song of Achilles? Well, Geordie, today I thought we'd do something a little different. We're getting a little bonus ep and talk about an aspect of fantasy that I think... Uh, I was about to say underappreciated. I think it is appreciated, but I want to shed even more light on them. Oh yes, here we go. Our favourite farm boys. That's right, everybody, we got a very special tier oh, list today. Oh, no, no, Dordie, no? we're not talking about the farm boys, no. We're talking about the funner side of it. The ones that we want oh. to see the farm boys murder and rip apart. <gasps> I'm talking about the monsters. Oh, the monsters. Oh, excellent. I love a good monster. Uh, my favourite book to read when preparing for a D&D game is The Monster Manual. And I think that's true for everybody. I imagine so. I, in fact, I think most DMs must start by looking through that manual and going, okay, this is a cool monster. How do I work it into my plot? Absolutely. That's a very important part of, of any creation process. And some people say that the first place you start in writing a story is with your villain. So what we're going to do is we're going to put together a little, uh, a little tier list. Duncan, are you prepared to write this down? Because my computer is too far away from me. Yeah, well, I can make a note, Jordi, as we go. Don't you worry. Okay, thank you so much. So we're going to rate our guys from A to F in terms of uh, how good they are. And we're going to lay out a couple of categories. And if a monster is truly exceptional and scores across the board, then it will go into the S category above it all. That sounds reasonable to me, Geordie. I'm not going to lie, I've never known someone to try this without the graphics. So, uh, hold no, in your head, no, people. but we are doing a podcast, and I've never heard anyone do a tier list on a podcast, so we're breaking new ground, Duncan. This is, we're at the head of new media right now. Or, we're about to make a huge mistake. Either way. Onward! So let's start, Geordie. Let's define that term, monster. Because it's been explored a lot. A lot of fiction is focused on answering that question, you know, it's actually quite a... Uh, Indeed. A quite a Anyone who introduced your kids very early on, you know, what is a monster, what does it mean to be monstrous? Mm, I mean, yep. Frankenstein is the big one that jumps into my mind. We are not looking that deep, though. No. <laughs> We're doing this really, really, basically. Like, if something is big and scary... It's probably a monster. Put it in the list. I think, though, and although this list will include, like, species and and individual characters, we're still going to try and keep it to the idea of these are the beasties. These are the ones you'd find, as we said, are, like, thumbing through your monster manual in D&D. These are the ones that could slot right in there. They have mm -hmm. a stat block right next to them, you know? Yeah, we can use individuals as, like, a model for this monster, but we're kind of trying to look at it like across the seasons like not just what an individual like player on a team does but like how does the team do overall not i just realized i don't know any members of sports teams we're on brand for a fantasy podcast who does harry kane play for i don't even know what sport he plays for <laughs> all right well 
So, moving on. Um, Duncan, would you like to start us off with your first pick for monsters? Oh, and we should clarify what our statistics are. So, the first one is going to be um, deadliness. Like, the monsters, if we're going to be rooting for our hero to step up and fight it, it's got to be... It's got to be something that's imposing or represents some sort of danger to the protagonist. The next fact is going to be scariness. You know, you actually have to be kind of afraid of a monster. And if a monster isn't scary, well, then it kind of just takes away from the very monstrosityness of it. I agree. But there's one other component I think even more important than those two. And that's how compelling your monster is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is not... This is fantasy literature. You know, I, I just said about the stat block in your D&D game, but why do your heroes care about slaying it? It has to be compelling. You want to be taken into its story, and it needs to help drive your hero's story. But it's not just about what we think, people. Let us know what you think. Contact us at isthisjustfantasypodcast at gmail.com and tell us what your favourite monster is and rank it using our scoring system. You know, 1 to 10, 10 being the most and 1 being the least. Uh, deadliness, scariness, and compellingness. And, you know, maybe the beasties out there that we haven't thought of, or maybe you found more compelling than us, and we'd like to hear about it, because often they are found in, you know, very individual stories. It's not just about the big species. Mm-hmm. There might be a small kind of indie book, an author, and I cannot believe I'm saying this, came up with something original, uh. and we've not experienced it. I know, that's a real scariness. And I'd love to hear about it. So write in at isthisjustfantasypodcast at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts. Alrighty, Duncan, would you like to take us away with our first one? Okay, Geordie, so my first pick. Before we begin, I've got five picks. I believe you've got five picks. Five or six, yeah. I'm, I've, I've anticipated. We don't know what each other have picked and I imagine there's going to be some crossover. So if that happens, I can just cross, one, cross it off my list. Well, my very first pick, Geordie, was originally going to be an honourable mention, but I'm just going to throw it in there okay. at number six, because I love this so much, and it's so fresh in my mind. Geordie, the Tallow Men from Gutter's Prayer by Gareth Hammerham. You know, you know, we agreed in the episode that the Tallow Men are a really good element of the story, and a really, to put it on our system, a compelling one. They tell us something about the world which they live in. Let's do a refresh on what a tallow man is. A tallow man, people, a tallow man. In the world of the gutter's prayer, gutter prayer, I will say the title right. In the world of the gutter prayer, mm-hmm. uh, in the city of Gerdedon, I have said that wrong. wrong, the tallow men are the private, militarised police force imposing justice across the city. They are made by mm-hmm. taking the criminals of the city, sentenced to death, but not to rest in peace. Instead of being hanged or beheaded, they're taken to the vats, these alchemical baths which they are dunked in. Their fat of their body is turned to wax. Their Mm -hmm. spinal cord is turned into a candle wick. They're elongated and unholy light shines from within them and they're sent out onto the streets to hunt their own compatriots. Their old compatriots. To hunt their old compatriots. The talent and Mm -hmm. They are. They are scary. Not only the thought of seeing one, but it happening to you. And I think that really adds an element to this kind of creature. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like a lot of a lot of monsters, sort of a, the twisted inversion of, of things we see in ourselves. And the Talamen sort of act as an allegory. You know, they are they're about militarized police. 
They're about the fear of law enforcement gone too far, becoming criminal and becoming violent. Let's focus in on that violence, because that's where I actually think these guys might lose some points here. So I would prepare to say that they are scary. In fact, I think they are like seven to eight out of ten scary monsters. Not only because they're hunting you, but because they you could become one of them. But yeah, deadly. And they're cruel and and um they, they don't experience mercy. They're like automaton. They're 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 basically machines at this point. Well, they're sadistic machines. Like a Terminator doesn't care about like hurting you, but but Talamans specifically use knives because it's easier to like make it hurt when they kill you. I didn't even think that aspect of them. Okay, they've gone up in the scary department. Um, no, I'm gonna leave them on an eight for me. Deadliness, though, as you just sure. said, they use knives. They're not gonna kill yeah, a dragon. They're they're stronger than than most people, and they're very fast. Like it's, you can't outrun them. But characters do outrun them in the story. There's a bit of dissonance between the fact that they are like better than humans. They're specially engineered, essentially super soldiers. But you can fight them, and kill them. And outrun them. I think kind of the element there is, if you're a bit smart and you know the lay of the land more, and if there's like a group of, I don't know, six of you, you could probably get the jump on one. Some of you might die. Yeah, and not even like six hardcore warriors, like a band of adventurers, like six like street thugs with some crowbars. You can take them down. You can just whack them. They're made of wax. You can actually just need to make them run out of time. Like they literally are destroying themselves the whole time. So where are you going to pitch them? I'm feeling... I'm feeling to, like, set the stage. These guys would be my, like, five. Like, they're a threat, but they're not a major threat. Are you talking about in terms of how dangerous they are? Yes. Yeah, I think that is... I think... I, we, well, I think a five has to be, like, the modest threat. Like, basically, it's an even fight between you and, and a five. Like, a person... An average person is a five. In that case, they're definitely higher than that. Oh, I just so it'd probably agree. be like, what would you call like a a, a a one or a two or a three would be like even match for a person. I think you remember that this scale is for monsters, Jordy. So I think a, a normal person has to be yeah, down yeah. there like a two. That's true. Where are we gonna put Ancalagon the Black if if this guy's a seven? Exactly. So I'm gonna say, I in fact, if anything, I'm gonna drop this guy down. I want him to have a four. Okay. Yeah, okay. So we need to come up with a, a range. So we'll have Gollum be a one. He's just a little guy and he's scary, but you can definitely just give him a good kick and he's down. And then on the other end, we'll put, I mean, who's the fucking most powerful monster in, in fantasy? Like Satan? <laughs> we'll put Satan at 10. Yeah, I'd agree. It would be like a god level. It's not a lot of integers you suddenly realise mm -hmm. when you do that's the scale. But yeah, it's like the type of being that just has to have a, a conscious thought and you're gone. I think I may have, I think I may have ruined our scale. What do we think the Talaman is going to be? Because now I don't think he is a four. He's a three? What you, is it, uh, yeah, let's call it a three. Let's call it a three. Um, <laughs> we needed a better baseline than that. But yeah. Um, stronger than a person for sure, but far from insurmountable. And if you just get all your friends together and you get some clubs and some knuckle dusters, you can just beat them up. 
Or wait, just wait, and he'll eventually melt. The last one is uh, how compelling they are. And we've already, we haven't given out a ranking yet, but I think it has to score pretty high. Like, it's a really effective metaphor, you know, the thing they represent. Um, so I'd, I'd say it has to score pretty high. I'd give him, like, a 7 or 8. I would agree. I'd give him an 8. Okay, great. So we'll call that an 8. Now we have to take our score. Why did we give him numbers? I thought this was a tier list. Yeah, actually, Jordy, maybe, maybe we should rethink this. Um... For, forget numbers. The numbers are just making this more complicated than it needs to be. Let's put them on the board. Let's put them on the board. Okay, so let's forget about the numbers. So let's just say, yeah, tell them then. We just call it high compelling, high scary, low physical threat. Okay. So it's not going to be a top tier thing, but I would say I'm thinking like B tier. I think it's scoring pretty well. I think so. I reckon this is a B tier monster. When you think about it, Geordie, we've picked okay, our favourites, gotcha. so anything below C, and I don't know why it's your favourite. I didn't pick my favourites, I've picked ones I'd like to talk about. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, B tier, uh, shake on it. Alright, uh, I'm going to pick my next one then. Uh, my next choice is just, and I think these are a really un- underrepresented uh, monster in at least a modern fantasy world, compared to how important they are to world mythology. Because I'm talking about giants. Giants, giants, Jack and the Giant. That's why I'm, that's my brain goes. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, no, that, and that's really reasonable. Like, it's a, like fairy tales. They're so important to the world of fairy tales. Where the, in, even if you go back to ancient Greece and to the ancient Norse and to India and to China, giants are really important to all of those mythologies. And yet, you know, if you crack open a modern fantasy novel, where's where's your giants? Where did they go? No, I don't think here. I think a big factor for giants is how they're absent from, and I'm going to point to this gentleman, from Tolkien's work. Tolkien didn't really pull on the giants. These references is st- it's true, stone it's giants true. are sort of there in um, The Hobbit, but they're not, they're not really featured in The Lord of the Rings. And I would, I would say that's an influence. Yeah, and um, yeah, and in terms of etymology, like ogres and trolls and stuff like that, you know, they are essentially just other forms of giants. Like he's choosing to just sort of use, for example, troll is a is a Norse word, and it just means giant. Like it's just another way of expressing the same thing, and that's kind of what you find out about a lot of different stuff from around the world. You know, Nephilim, um, the Gigantomachia, um, uh, Cyclopses, all these things, they kind of just represent the same idea. And do you know how some, um, some anthropologists think we got the idea of giants, Duncan? I, I actually have no idea. Did you know what, Jordi? I don't keep up with uh, modern anthropology. I don't keep up with their field. <laughs> Well, some people think that the reason why giants are so um, are so ubiquitous and why they keep seeming to have one eye is mammoth skulls. People found these massive skulls which had a similar domed shape to a, to a, a person's head and a single massive hole in the center for the trunk. 
So we, people were like, oh, look at these skulls of gigantic people. There must have been giant people once. Now, I cannot comment on the validity of that theory, but it, yeah, checks out in my brain. Mm. Wow. It's really, anyway, I just, I'm really fascinated by the fact that giants are so ubiquitous throughout so many cultures, and yet we rarely well, see them. Maybe we can get to the bottom of it with a tier list. Bam, bam, bam. Duncan, I think the, the place where these guys are going to score big is physical threat. Take a guy, make him real big. How big? As big as you want. As big as you want. You want him to be just 11 feet tall? Bam, he's a giant. 50 feet tall? Bam, giant. One mile tall? Bam, also a giant. Do you see giants as a as extension? Because quite often you get, especially in like you got that kind of like elemental giant as well. Do you see it always as just like a human but bigger? You mentioned Cyclops. Like, what's your when you say giant? What's the first image that kind of forms? Big fella, just a guy who's real big. That's what I think when I think giant. And you know, you can you can throw some stuff in there, like. I know that some of the giants in ancient Greek depictions had like like lizard legs or like wings or things like that. Like Typhon is essentially a giant and he's got all sorts of monster bits on him. I can see that. Do you know what actually you, you say about giants like falling out of like modern fantasy literature? I can think of an example of essentially giants had a huge okay. impact. I mean they've waned a bit now but I think about five, six years ago a uh, Japanese manga turned anime came out. Uh, they were giants. That's true. Um, I'm referring to the show Attack on that's Titan. That's true, yeah. Attack on Titan. That's just a giant. Yeah, and that's... um, I think the interesting thing about that series is that the giants in it... um, You know, it's an interesting take. Like, what if you had to fight these really big monsters? How would you fight them? And, you know, have the answer to that is, like, weird 3D maneuver gear flying around on wires and stuff. But the interesting thing about it is that that's kind of just, like, a really stepped-up zombie apocalypse. Uh, I strongly agree. Like, at the end of the day, yeah, it's all about, like, a, a, a systematic societal threat which needs to be handled head-on. But the zombies are just really big. Just real big. And, like, well, here's the complication. Where do you go from there? Well, as in a lot of zombie uh, fiction, I find Attack on Titan is really just using them as a tool to analyse the human response. Have you... Yes? How far did you get with it? Um, season one? Yeah, I think that's true for a lot of people. I didn't get that far in it, because when I finished season one, I started to read the manga, and then I went, wow. This is so fucking boring. And then I stopped. And people were like, no, it's it's so good. And I'm like, I just have other stuff to do. And people being like, good, it's, it's like super racist. And everyone else is like, it's not. I promise it's not. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. I'm not going to find out. <laughs> I just don't care. I don't want to find out. But that's why I find in that particular use of fiction, it felt more like a zombie apocalypse because of its um, holding that the horde... You know, mm-hmm. the, it's, uh, the focus on, like, if humans just work together, uh, you know, this could go a lot better, mm-hmm. which is quite a common theme in sort of zombie works. Duncan, but so obviously, like, 
giants are going to be a very big physical threat. Like, if your giant is... I mean, look, think about it. Like, if you fight a guy who's 10 kilograms heavier than you, he has a huge advantage. What if he weighed 200 kilograms more than you? What if he weighed 100 tons more than you? You wouldn't stand a bloody chance. I know, and that's why I'm thinking, okay, these can be a big threat. And the fact that you can kind of, like, redefine them, you know, are they giants, are they classes, are they the size of the planets... You know, mm-hmm. that kind of increases their threat level. But where I think they're going to fall down... Georgie, what's the story where you really felt compelled by the giants? I'm more prepared to talk about giants being compelling than I am to them being scary. Like, you've already caught on to the one where they are the most scary, that being Attack on Titan. I can't think of any other occasions where I've actually been scared of a giant. Like, giants... Oh, oh. Geordie, Geordie, you did not watch the BFG as a kid. <laughs> the animated BFG is terrifying. I I guess you're right, actually. There was that one scene where a girl's, like, hiding inside a cucumber. That was pretty scary. Yeah, yeah. There's a, you, there's a right. literal scene where someone comes in and it's like, have you heard the headlines in the paper? Child bones left underneath their bedroom windows. It's like, okay, that happened in my kid's movie. <laughs> um well i guess i I guess i was never that scared of the bfg but um in terms of them being compelling i guess you have a point there like most of the time i mean i I said again a giant is just a big guy so they should be as compelling as human beings which is obviously a 10 human beings are the most complicated animals in existence um but I don't really As think, often depicted in writing. But I don't really, can't really think of any times that I've been that compelled by, like, a giant. I've never read um, Never Ending Story. I know there's a giant in that who's very compelling, but I've never read it. I've never read it. I've seen the film and I wouldn't say it was particularly compelling there. Yeah. I am um, I, thinking, if we're going to count, like, uh, kaiju as giants and in the same category, then I am pretty compelled by, like, King Kong. But you wouldn't. And I, I guess King Kong would be the exception that I would kind of. I would oh, kind of put why are you making into. exceptions? Because I thought you were about to say Godzilla. <laughs> I was like, Godzilla's not a giant. He's a kaiju. Put some respect in his name, damn it. But you would let King Kong, and would you say that's because he's like more human, or that he his yeah. origins are not quite in the same field? Yeah, because he is. You know, he is supposed to be quite human, like. In any adaptation of it, you'll be like, oh, he's more than just an animal. He's intelligent, and he has feelings. And in that way, yeah, he's sort of sentient enough to have personhood. So he's pretty close to just being a giant. Then again, I don't know if I'd call him a fantasy... He's <laughs> certainly not a fantasy novel character. Perhaps not, but I think he certainly could be. <laughs> I don't think they offer much in the way of hard science to explain around King Kong, other than... He used to live on the Earth. They sure bloody tried in the latest adaptation. Right, so let's rank him. Let's not rank him. I was about to say rank King Kong, then. <laughs> no, giants in general. Um, Jordi, I'm going to be honest with you. I'd want them to get a C. Yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. I think C is a good example, because they are so fundamental, so basic, so middle of a road. I don't think you give them anything else except for a C. Okay, lock it in. Awesome. C for giants. I do like that in mythology. Sometimes giants 
are just people. They're just fellas who you meet down at the shops. And then they'd say, I'm actually a giant. And you go, oh, no way, man. I had no idea. You'd be like finding out that someone is Swedish. I, I don't know what to comment to that. Um, yes, and to be honest... You've played God of War. I have played God of War, and I had that exact moment when the Kratos is like, these caves are too small for giants. And it sounds like, uh, Dad, uh, giants can be the regular-sized people. And Kratos' mind gets blown. It's a, it's a lovely, touching scene. Yeah, he's been he's climbed. That's because that's a man who's climbed on too many gigantic people. <laughs> right, Duncan. What's your next one? So it's funny that we brought up King Kong because my next one is very similar, in that it's a big ape, but not even that big an ape. <gasps> it's a very specific oh. big ape from one of my favourite fantasy works that we have to mention every episode, Robert E. Howard's Conan, and that is the creature called Thack. From Rogues in the House. Thack. Thack. Yes. So. Thack is sort of representative representative of a bunch of ape men in Conan. Like, there's a ton of quasi-human, quasi-gorilla people. Yes, and I'm not going to lie. There is an unpleasant undertone about exploring sort of the uh, lost race and, you know, where, I don't know what we have, was approaching the subject of, like, you know, humanity sure. split... Um, taking it just yeah, as a when mod. you're writing in the 1920s, like evolution is still a relatively new idea, and a lot of people are really fascinated by the fact that we, we how wow, apparently we came from apes. What does that mean? Could it mean that other apes could turn into us, like monkey people instead of ape people, or gorilla people instead of chimpanzee people? What what's going on with that? And I do explored far better in Planet of the Apes, but coming back to Thak. So what makes Thak interesting? Why do I enjoy this character? Well, firstly, he's a, a kind of mm-hmm. a typical of this characterization, and it's the same characterization that I do apply to King Kong and Mighty Joe Young to another extent. Uh, that he's sort of this—he's not a fully—he's not defined as a gorilla. You know, he's defined as this—he's this sort of the lost, the missing link almost, but not Bigfoot. You mm, get the vibe. Yeah. It, he's in—he exists that area. And what I like about this is the characterization of. When there's the fight going down between Conan and this big ape, he Conan is surrounded by all these uh, people at the time, this sort of scheming politician, um, this sort of kind of dark sorcerer. And so mm-hmm. the sentiment that's put across is that there's still this sort of nobility to this ape. A similar vibe is actually put across often in, in Aliens, and I don't quite agree with where it's applied there. Uh, great line, you know, at least those... Uh, creatures don't sell each other out for a percentage. And it's that similar kind of mm. vibe, you know. Yes, it's sort of simplistic, it's more savage, but it's also not scheming. You know, it's not trying to screw over its peers for like almost intangible advantages. Yeah, it sort of goes into um you know, the very theory of uh that Robert E. Howard was trying to explore in the character of Conan. He was a, he was really trying to capture the idea of, you know, in creating a civilization because, you know, like I said, the, the idea of evolution itself was kind of a new idea, relatively speaking. Like, have we lost something essential to ourselves in creating a civilized world? Are we trying to be something we're not? And so, in characters like Thak, you represent a another type of person. The, the person who's completely captured by the animal world instead of the human world that we've created. 
now that makes him very compelling to me and i like that concept i like where else it's being explored but i will say when it comes to a monster he is that humanized monster Mm -hmm. so does he fall down when it comes to being scary and being deadly i don't remember ever being scared of thak neither was i yeah he's just an ape man you may be most you're gonna get a bit of pity out of him yeah, that's true. He's he is a bit of a he's a bit of a Frankenstein's monster. Like he's been like the Frank uh, the Frankenstein's creature, I should say, has been taken has been given life which he didn't ask for and is now rejected by the world and is a pitiable figure. Um and Fark has been taken from his home and and brought into a world which he doesn't understand and he doesn't belong in. And in that way, he is pitiable. And in, in, like, trying to kill his master, you're like, yeah, like, that guy was a bad dude. It just so happens that he also, like, crossed paths with Conan, who's now got to kill him because he's dangerous. And that brings us on to deadliness. I don't think that kills anyone. No, no, he, he tries. But his, his big plan is that he's, like, his advantage is that he's smarter than the average ape. Like, he can pull a lever. Um, and use, like, a mirror, a special mirror trap, which I never actually, like, I never understood how it worked. Like, it can, it really confused me. From what I can recall, it's the idea that it's almost like a, like, meant to be like a telescopic tube. Like, there's t- loads and loads of, like, tiny mirrors that can make something look that's very far away, or even a different room, look like it's present. Okay. And that's sort of what it's meant to represent. Okay, but wouldn't you uh, see yourself every... in the mirror as you're going towards it? Not necessarily, but quite possibly. Okay, gotcha. So, okay, do you know when you go to the mirror mazes, though? Because you no. you're not always... Because you've got the wrong angle. <laughs> okay? I've if never you do go to a mirror maze, <laughs> they're very fun. Uh, okay. Not as good, though. I, I love it when they ever do them in movies. And they always do, like, the, the camera's, like, spinning around. It's like, yep. where's the person that they're looking for? And they, like, smash the glass. It's like, no, I, I don't think you get that confused. It's, it's not that hard. Exactly. That's it's what I'm saying. Point. Anyway. Thak is is basically a gorilla, in that you know. So he's, he's got gorilla. he's got gorilla strength, but unfortunately, the one person he happens to fight is Conan, who's I guess stronger than a gorilla because he fights so many gorilla men. I want to say he definitely fights two. I, he might fight a third. Fights I can... one in. Uh... Yep. So Conan, I think he fights Thak. Then he fights another one in Iron Shadows yes. in the moonlight. And almost dies like that one's pretty that's one that one's pretty intense and he fights one in hour of the dragon yep he fights three this guy's uh, on the roll okay. i think by that point he's just like i oh, know what guys just relax i've i've done this before yeah but at that Taking point you can down. speed run it that's like in a video game when like a character who used to be a boss shows up and now you're like oh, i don't need some special abilities now i can just take you down oh uh, the feeling you get from dark souls mm. um so he has to be C-tick. pretty low on the physical... So how do we rank him? Like, in the story, Thak's not a physical threat because Conan, like, can basically easily wrestle him. Um, but he should be as dangerous as a gorilla, and gorillas are dangerous. I remind you, though, that we rank giants at, like, C tier. So I think Thak has to go to the same place. He's, he's more compelling. He's more compelling. He's much less of a threat. He's much less of a threat. I think it balances is out. How is how scary is he compared to a giant? I think the exact same. Yeah, he's got to be a C tier. Less scary. Yeah, less scary. C-tier. 
See, here it is. All right, uh, it's my turn. So my next choice is, uh, this one is a sort of split because they are essentially the same thing, um, is basilisks and cockatrices. Okay, Geordie, I want to pause you there and just go on to basilisks because your idea of a basilisk, like mine, was that completely skewed by Harry Potter? It was initially, yeah. Yeah, when I was growing up, my first encounter with one was the Chamber of Secrets, in which the basilisk is a really big snake, whom, if you have to look, if you happen to look it in the eye, turns you to stone, or paralyzes you in that book. Actually, no, in that one, it kills you, unless through a series of completely bizarre happenstances, you don't look at it directly, um, in which case, then you um, get petrified instead. I, I always found it weird in that book, because they talk about the, the creatures, like, oh, it's using the pipes. I'm like, are all the pipes in this castle basilisk size? Gigantic. <laughs> also, <laughs> this is a very popular talking point, but the book um, is, yeah, <laughs> the book has been contradicted by J.K. Rowling's Twitter account. You know about this? Oh, the use of toilets. That's right. That toilets... They, they, you know, that toilets weren't invented when Hogwarts was built a thousand years before the start of the story. So they were only introduced in, like, the Victorian period. And until then, um, wizards just pooped themselves and then banished the poop. Like, they just... I, I, they just... They didn't care. They were disgusting animals. <laughs> and there's a reason why muggles but, hated them. is because they smelled really bad. But this begs the question, Jordi. Yes. Why would you then bring in a toilet? Like, yeah, if that's a magic, true. You already have a better solution. <laughs> um, but even but, if you want private but, rooms, have and also, private rooms, and it's... also like banishing is actually quite advanced. Like I know they only learnt that in like the fifth or sixth book. So, what about all those first and th- to third years? Maybe um, it was the opposite because he learns um, the the summoning spell, and then there's like the banishing spell. Because they don't mean banishment as in it disappears. They mean it flies off. No, no, no. It is a banishing. Like, you, you send it to, like, you turn it into nothingness. You send it to limbo, specifically. Um, that's the place you, like, is teleport through. Is limbo spell? That's when you teleport. You go through limbo, where the poop is, and you turn up <laughs> the other side. So you're telling me, when uh, they're apparating in Harry yes. Potter, and it feels like you've been squeezed down a tiny little tube... <laughs> Like, outside of that tube in the limbo space, it's just all the poop. Oh, my God. From, like, oh previous my wizards. Yeah. That's fucked up. That's fucked up. Okay. So, um... Cockatrice. What was I even saying? Oh, yeah. No, anyway, the, the plumbing system wasn't introduced to the Victorian times. So, how the fuck did they, like, how was he getting around before? When Voldemort was, you know, like, how was he getting around before? And then how did they not find the chamber when they built the plumbing system? Because it is connected. Did not go down and were like, holy shit, the archaeological find of the century. Or did all of them die? And then no one went to check all the plumbers who died. Anyway, it's a very silly thing to put on a Twitter account. Luckily, it's not canon because it's not in the books. And also they deleted those tweets. So, um, it's not a snake. Uh, a basilisk is a big cockerel monster. It's like has a dragon body and a rooster head. And if you look it in the eye, 
um, you are petrified. Okay. That's a good. I like it. I like it. Can you think yeah. of like a, a famous story that it's used in, in its proper form? Um, yes, but I actually don't remember the name of this story. It was one I read at school. Um, and it was um, this story about um, this community of like magical creatures, like dragons and brownies and stuff that needed to go to like another place. They need to find a new home. And on their journey, they picked up these two kids who they became a part of their traveling crew. That would be Dragon Rider by Cornelia Funky? Funk? I think it's Funk. Cornelia Funk. And, um, and in part one of their adventures was that they ran into um, a basilisk. And this was the first time I found out a non-snake version of it. And, you know, like, they had to, like, you know, do the whole thing where you don't look at it, so you have to try and figure out where it is, and the dragon was able to kill it by breathing fire on it. And um, I really enjoyed it in that story. I'm pretty sure it's also in a Witcher story that I haven't read. <laughs> uh, probably one I haven't well, gone maybe to Maybe I'm just wrong. Yeah. I think there should be more of them, is my point. Like, the peril is, you know, is obvious, and the way you, you fight it has to be really, like... You know, like, it's like the myth of Perseus and Medusa. You can't look at her, so you have to come up with creative solutions. But imagine if, like, a, a sorcerer had a bunch of pet cockatrices or pet basilisks, and the sorcerer was, like, blind or could or, or was immune to the gaze and, like, made a, a house made out of mirrors. So you couldn't just look away from it. You had to, like, just, like, close your eyes and then let the cockatrices tear you apart. Wouldn't that be pretty? Wouldn't that be pretty cool? I mean, not for the people being teared apart, but yes, in concept, yeah, that would be yeah. fun. And like the danger rating is obviously super high because even if you're not looking at it, they've still got a sharp beak and dragon claws. Now, here's where I think it's going to fall down, Dordy, because I think the thought of a dragon with a chicken head is more funny than scary. I can't agree. It's. I think it's. I mean, yes, there is something amusing about it. But, like, you could still make it scary. Like, it doesn't have to be a big, uh, like, a, a cute rooster. It could be a, f a fucked up lizard-looking rooster. Oh, I can't picture Damn this. It. Damn it. And you know what? They do have something else that kind of uh, gets in their way, which is that they do have a major weakness. Ooh. So you know how, like, Detail. vampires are, like, scared of crosses and the sun and um, they have to, like, pick up rice if you drop it on the floor. I, I didn't know that last one. I know they can't cross running that, water. That one too, that one too. That's another uh, also shared power. by a lot of fairy folk. Um, but basilisks have one weakness, which is um, which actually is also in... See, this is the reason why it's kind of weird that it's a snake in Harry Potter, because this is also a weakness they have in, um, in Harry Potter, which is that um, if they hear a rooster, like a rooster crow, they instantly die. Well, that sounds like quite the weakness. It's, it's a really, really big weakness. Like, it's it it because all you gotta do is get a chicken, and your monster shouldn't be able to be beaten by a chicken. But wouldn't it be cool if you like, you know, you were in like a somewhat Witcher-ish story, and like your adventures are moving through a town, and you know they say like, and a farmer says, "Oh, there's all sorts of trouble here in these parts." That's what I'm telling you. I'm deliberately doing an accent that doesn't belong anywhere, by the way. I'm just doing, like, a fantasy peasant accent. 
I am so glad you're here. There's, there's all sorts of trouble about. This, you know, the, all my chickens are dead. What did you say? I said my chickens are dead. <gasps> we have to get out of this town right now. Uh, for people wondering, yes, Geordie does do that accent when uh, he's DMing a D&D game. And it is as glorious there as it yeah, was then. Yep. But you couldn't it be good? I... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not buying it. Ah. I'm sourcing a chicken who can be killed by a rooster. And you know what? You fall into that wizard's cave with the mirrors all around. What if but luckily, you, in your bag you of holding, you pull room? out your chicken. What if you run into a room and it's full of statues, huh? All horrified and like, ah! That's scary. Yeah, you're right. Medusa is scary. No, but Medusa is a lady. She's just one gal. <laughs> okay, that came across mildly sexist no it's but not you're right, she's only one she's just one she's unique and she's not prowling all over the place and she lives in a cave like by herself and also she's not like in a modern reading she's not even a villain like she's clearly the victim in all of this and it's really fucked up that Perseus even goes there to kill in the first place she wasn't hurting anybody uh, I would accept that that reading of her yep. okay Geordie I think you've made your case and I would say that they're still not that scary damn it Damn it, damn it. Where would you rank them? D. Ah, I guess I'll take your word for it. D-list it is. Duncan, let's hope your one scores higher. Or worse, it'd be cool to have an F. Okay, so my next one. And I'm not making this up. My next one's Medusa. <laughs> okay, okay. I can see why you were a bit defensive about me saying, like, she doesn't count. So we've talked about some obvious scariness already. Turning to stone, can't look at her, makes her very dangerous. I'm just going to, this is my one case. Um, I watched Clash of the Titans, the 1980s film, when I was young. Um, I found Medusa very scary. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to use your mirror shield. Indeed. And in that film, she had a had a bow thing, and uh, snake hair is very fashionable. You know, lots of our characters have uh, have had it over the years. That's about it. That's all I've got. Yeah, that's all I've got. She definitely would crank up the compelling compared to a cockatrice or a basilisk, which we didn't even get into because they're just rooster boys. But um. Yeah, obviously, yes. like like I said, Medusa is arguably not even the villain of her story. She's victimised by the gods. Exactly. So for people that don't know the full background, mm-hmm. um, I don't know it either. So, <laughs> Geordie, tell us, why was she cursed? I think it has something to do with getting with someone in a temple to someone. Well, unfortunately, it's a little darker than her just getting with someone. It's more that she was gotten with, if you oh. understand me. Oh dear. Yeah, and that's that's the that's the issue is that in when you watch Clash of the Titans, they might well tell you that she violated the Temple of Athena by sleeping with Poseidon there, when that's not really what happened. And you know, back in ancient Greece, they were like, yeah, that's the right of the gods to do that thing. We'll talk about that later in Song of Achilles coming this Sunday. But um, yeah, I mean, she's. She's not causing trouble for anyone. She's living in a cave by herself because she's been cursed by Athena that anyone who looks at her because she was too beautiful before will be turned to stone because she's so ugly. Um, and so she's not 
really villainous. She's not causing trouble. She's not roaming around killing people. You have to seek her out in order to kill her, to even be in danger. So does that not make her, though? Although she is so much sympathy, but she is still the monster of the story, no matter how tragically she became so. I would say no. I would I would crank down the danger rating, like lower than a basilisk, because a basilisk is a monster that's going around doing this to people. Her danger rating is super low because she's not, because she's not hurting anyone. She's trying to not hurt people. Compelling, high, danger, low, scary. I would also put high. I mean, I guess she has to be high. Like that's literally the whole point is that she's so scary that you turn to stone. I feel uh, like you're min-maxing. I think I am, but all I can say is when I was watching that, that uh, Ray Harryhausen's Clash of the Titans, that interpretation, this, i got to set the scene, Geordie, it's, it's this stop-motion um, creation of Medusa, you know, and when you've got that kind of human torso, but it's in stop-motion, it has this wonderful unnatural kind of vibe to it with glowing eyes mm-hmm. lit by the braziers either side cast in the firelight and all you can hear is the kind of the rattle of her many snakes it's a creepy scene man yeah is ed 209 also on your list for the creepy stop motion uh it's not but i'll be honest i had when i was thinking through this i was looking at a lot of the things that kind of creeped me out when i was younger and a lot of them were stop motion creatures which is weird because i love them now i i love stop motion and sort of that look and that vibe, especially some very Harryhausen's films. But I think it does achieve this wonderful kind of unnatural, otherworldly or uncanny uh, feel to the animation that makes it, one hand, seem less real and less present than like a lot of modern effects. But because it's less real, it sort of fits in that kind of weird dream space more, which when, especially when you're a young child, I think had a much bigger impact on a uh, scaring little junkie. Okay, well, we can put her on the list. I, I would I would put her at F tier because I don't think she's even a monster, but I'll I'll hear what you have to say. I will put her I want her to go at C. I will accept C. Okay. Okay, well, okay fine. Balancing You're very out between very scary and very dangerous. I, I will also agree to put her at C. I'm just glad she isn't up there in A. Because frankly, uh she certainly could be. Like if we were less if I were less sympathetic to her. You can make a very good case for her being right up there. Um, by the way, I've just added lore to the list of um, <laughs> to the list of fantasy novels we're going to read because uh, I think that one's about Medusa, and I think it might be a bit more sympathetic. So, over to you, Geordie. Next on my list, I have, I don't know, I haven't counted where we're at, but I feel like the next one is we're getting to some of the obvious ones, and that is I'm picking vampires. Vampires. Oh yes. Dracula. It really would be kind of a, a big missed opportunity for it. Like, I've talked about giants and basilisks who are not well represented in fantasy, and now I've gone to ones who might, some would argue, are overrepresented. I have one issue with vampires. Yes. I think they're too human to be counted among the other monsters. They're just humans well, with superpowers. That's that's one interpretation of them, and one we'll have to bear in mind. But there are, you know, fucked up forms of vampires who are, like, not human at all. And I think that's what's... I'm going to get into this later in another monster I want to bring to the table, which I imagine you are also going to bring to the table. Um, 
we kind of need to look at them in a bit of totality. And that there are the Edward Cullens and even the Draculas, who are just guys, just people. Did you know the Dracula isn't burned by the sun? Like, he's just nocturnal. He just chooses to come out of night, at night. Like, he doesn't have to. You know, I, I didn't even know that. I know... Yeah, it's... It, it, I know in the original story, he can transform into a lot more animals. He can, like, turn into, like, a wolf. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's well basically a werewolf. Basically a werewolf. He can just turn into creatures of the night, and that's very vague. Duncan, would you... What, like, a... Is a fox a creature of an owl? Absolutely, and so is an owl. So uh, let's see our an chocolate owl. Yeah, owl. That's true. What a, what what about a shark? Is a shark a creature of the night? Do sharks only come out at night? I, I, I don't know. If, I don't believe that's a thing. Do wolves only come out at night? True. But they do hunt during the night. Okay. What about squids, Duncan? Are squid creatures of the night? Right. I don't know what type of fan fiction you're writing, mate, but I think this has got to stop. Fine, fine, we'll, go, we'll, we'll talk about vampires. Forgot it all. Drink blood. Scary. Live forever. Pretty scary. Um, physically more dangerous than people. Sometimes by a lot. I can see this. Um, yep. I can see this. And you got the soup, and you got the fucked up versions. Like, if you read the Magnus archives, don't, don't read, it's a podcast. If you listen to the Magnus archives, there's like a couple of episodes where of like vampires in that, and they're really, really fucked up. Like they don't talk ever. They just make people do whatever they want telepathically. Like go out to clubs and just consume people. They're like manifestations of the fear of being hunted by something. And they don't drink blood with fangs. They have. They open up their mouths. And, like, they don't even have throats. They just have gigantic barbed tongues, which they just, like, plunge into people and drink them dry. So is that even a vampire? Yeah, it's a vampire. It's drinking blood. It's got mind control. It lives forever. The thing is, you can bring up all those good examples, and I'm standing here taking, you know, you put forward vampires. You didn't say Dracula. You said vampires. You will take all the vampires in consideration. So let's just remember that Vampirella... Blade, and what we do in the shadows are all vampires. Um, one of the guys in what we do in the shadows is pretty scary. The Nosferatu guy. Beat, I think his name is. Ah, oh, Beat, yeah, but he's just like a nice roomie. He just sleeps a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He keeps himself. I like what we do in the shadows. I've never seen the TV show. I've only ever seen it's worth movie. your time, and I'll say that to everyone listening. Okay. If you enjoy the film, watch the film first. Uh, beautiful, beautiful piece. Uh, by our favourite man. Insert name here. Uh, Duncan wants me to say Taika Waititi, but I'm just going to say Jermaine Clement, just to, uh, you know, that guy doesn't get enough respect for what he does. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to go with here. Jordi, I'm prepared to accept the vampires should go very high on our list. I know I've, I've had a little joke, but they yeah. are so iconic, and they have not only are they being so iconic, but they've managed to reinvent themselves so much and have such an impact on popular fiction. Uh Pretty consistently, mm-hmm. actually. You know, we talk about uh, we talked about Twilight on this podcast. People go watch the episode; it's great. Uh, but mm-hmm. you talk about being invented. You, know, you had that era, but not too long ago, you know, you had uh, into with with, with the, the vampire. You've had the Lost Boys. Yeah, and that brings up the compelling score. Like you, you made a joke that they're just people with superpowers, but like we, I said earlier, people are the most complex beings, like animals on the planet. 
So if they're just basically people who have uh, like a series of weird allergies, well, then that's pretty compelling. The danger rating is always high. And I'll even accept that sometimes they're not scary. Like, like we read uh, one version of them we read, like a lot of them, when we read Empire of Empire, which was lost forever, so you shouldn't, shouldn't don't ask us about that episode. But some of those on those ones are just zombies. They're just blood-sucking zombies. But sometimes they are immortal uh, royalty who, who looked down on humanity and, like, killed the sun. And that's pretty fucked up. Okay, I'm going to prepare to say, Dordie, that this is the first A to go on our list. Yeah, I agree. I think they're Brilliant. Vampires are A. They would be S tier if they were more scary, but often they are not. Were vampires on your list, by the way? Vampires were not on my list. And the baby... What is on your list? What's on my list? So on my list, this one is is heavily influenced by the fact that I've read it very recently, I do believe. But I hope over time I will not look back on this and regret putting them here. Because I think they represent the... That that next so is not full godlike being, but that other okay that extra step away, and it's a collective, mm-hmm. and that is from a very specific story. I'm talking about the God Hand from Berserk. Oh, uh, wow! Duncan's taking a swing. I'm going to set the scene, people. Berserk is a piece okay. of very grim, dark fantasy literature it is about in this world of berserk there's war going on between the different people you know it's a brutal reality we follow guts so who starts as this lone soldier who finally finds friends and meets up with people and starts to like them under a very charismatic leader but unfortunately the god hand have other plans this court of angelic beings and they refer to them as like the angels mm-hmm. they're demons by our broad definitions um have decided mm-hmm. what they do they send out into the world of humanity these little precious stones these behelets and if you as a human come find one you can make a sacrifice and in return the god hand will give you what you want and turn you into a terrifying demonic creature and what i think makes these people scary is their sort of unknown deadliness the unknown power level yeah you don't really often see them fight they're just pulling the strings and you always get the sense in the story of berserk that the game's already been rigged you know what our characters Mm. are doing they're just following the path of destiny they're not even really sure what that destiny is you know the god hands have sort of mastered Mm -hmm. all and i think they're compelling is because they do seem to have a bit of character. Each of the god hand are sort of implied mm-hmm. to at one point being human long ago. Yeah, these were people who mm-hmm. sacrificed something personal in their life, like their family or all their friends or their nation or their, you know, huge sums of like human sacrifice. Almost like a, I was going to compare it to like a lich in D anD D, but I think that's much lesser than what these people mm-hmm. are. And so this gives you the sense that they're not beyond human. They're not inherently evil by some like otherworldly power this all their evil does mm. come from a level of humanity that they then stripped away the rest just to leave themselves at these like personifications of the worst of humanity right yeah. uh, yeah, i'm really excited Nate. 
you brought the god hand to the table. Um, and also that you're far enough along of a story to sort of kind of get what they are. I think they represent, if we're going to not pick something like Satan or sort of the devil figure, these are the best Satan equivalents I have read in recent fantasy literature. You, you, yeah, and you're right because I, I, I mean, I don't want to. And the interesting thing is that even though I'm, I've read so much more of the series than you have, I kind of, I have can tell you, I don't know much more about them really than you do. Like I, I have a probably a better, more secure idea, but you're you're right in that they are sort of this satanic analog. Like they will give you the opportunity. They will they will tell you you have the choice to make this sacrifice. But they will but if they give you that choice, it means you're gonna succumb. You didn't have a choice, because destiny, causality, has already chosen for you. The true fear these almost seemingly omnipotent beings possess is that they appear to be omnipotent, not just because they have incredible powers, but because they know what's going to happen. They know what fate has dictated, so they only take actions which will succeed. They represent humanity's inability to make true choices. They are the you know the glue that we're trapped in there's there's nothing scarier than that so you also feel like that kind of adds to the fact that they're not all powerful they're simply all knowing but also knowing that they're not all powerful mm. and that there's the slimmest slimmest of chances that you could like somehow outplay them makes yep. it scarier than just where are you at in the series man <laughs> what's what's going on we'll discuss that in a later episode but Berserk is fantastic, and I think the God Hands are a wonderful villain mm. to also be the back seat. You know, they're not always what you're fighting, uh, the main characters are fighting day to day, but they are the masterminds putting mm. the strings behind it all. Or are they instead having their str- strings pulled themselves? I do not know about that, Doherty. I think in. Now, and technically, neither do I. <laughs> so I think, like, in terms of scariness, they represent literally the scariest thing that exists. The idea that our choices are meaningless. In terms of power, they seem to be able to do whatever they want. And in terms of uh, nuance and complexity, again, they represent like different like whole schools of philosophy by their existence. I think you couldn't come up with a better example than an S-tier... <laughs> Um, I, if you tried. I would like to put them at S tier. Well, well done, Doug. I actually didn't think we were going to get any, but there we go. You really stepped up. You really stepped up um, our options. Uh, Dordie, I'm sure you're going to follow up with something so, equally fantastic. Take it away. Sphinxes. Nah, I, I crossed them off the list. Um, I feel like the, the only logical place this can go is to talk about dragons. Oh, I like dragons. The most quintessential monster you can really put in uh, any kind of fantasy Goody. story. In some way, yes. Describe for the listener, what does a dragon look like? Go. <laughs> a dragon is a somewhat um, reptilian creature. Uh, it's very powerful. Um, it's normally of a great size. Um, did I say it was dangerous? Uh, you say very powerful, but... Um... I'll say also dangerous. Powerful and dangerous both. 
And that's it. That's as far as I'll go. So, does um, it have a tail? I can't get more specific than that. Um, yes, it has a tail. Does it have wings? I ref- I, I, I plead for Thiff. Does it have <laughs> legs, Geordie? Two dragons have legs. Um, sometimes. Can they fly? Normally. Uh, Often they can. They don't necessarily need to have wings either. I think what Tolkien was very famous for saying that there were only two examples of true dragons in in literature. That being um, that being Fafnir the dragon uh, in the the in the in the Volsung saga and later represented in uh, in, in you know in, in the works of, of Wagner and um, and the dragon at the end of Beowulf. And that is one of the times when Tolkien has been never been more wrong. Uh, sorry, Ban. <laughs> I think it comes down to your definition of dragon. I yeah. think the word That's dragon. What yeah, it's I think taxonomy. it's it's a very broad term, and lots of things can be dragons. And I think mm. this is where you we talked earlier about how like giants pop up all across the world, and I think it's mm-hmm. often say, well, there seems to be a lot of dragons all over the place as well. But dragons do look quite different. That that sure is the case. Um, it's really interesting that, like, for example, take the most standard dragon I think you can, the sort of uh, as close as you can get to the standard model of a dragon would be um, the Welsh dragon. You know, it's right there on the flag. It looks great. No notes. Um, but compare that to um, a, a dragon from, from China or a dragon from Japan, and it looks pretty different different temperament different levels of intelligence different level of like how magical they are a dragon if you met one in in chinese mythology he's just a fella with no with like no wings and he's very serpentine and you can have a nice chat and he might just give you a magical blessing because he's just a magical creature and also did you know how um the sort of model for chinese dragons came about so i just had a bad feeling after recording this episode like i wasn't sure the veracity of what I'm about to say, and I checked my sources, and I do not know why I thought this to be true. There is no primary sourcing for this that I could find, uh, so I'm about to say some fucking bullshit. Whoops. Oh, do enlighten me. Um, can I make a guess? It's n- they come from shooting stars. Oh. No, Duncan, don't sound impressed. That's it's not true. Uh, turns out comets in Chinese mythology are just like comets in European mythology. They're like omens for the future. So if you saw a, a, a comet, something, something bad was going to happen. The tale of comets and the tales of uh, meteorites, um, people were like, wow, it's like a, a big f- flaming snake flying across the sky. Um, this must be some sort of creature in flight. And they interpreted that to be like, and they came up with the idea of dragons, and that's why they are so long and serpentine. Oh, that's wonderful. In fact, that's actually rather beautiful. Thank you, Duncan, for saying that the thing I completely made up by accident is beautiful. That's very kind of you. Fuck. I also remember, um, and I don't know whether this is true, but I, I, um, I read in a comic book once... No, Geordie, stop! What are you doing? Stop! That, um, that in China, and it might be getting this backwards, that dragons have uh have have five fingers and in japan they have three fingers and that's how you can tell them apart oh hey i got this one right thanks very much brian k vaughan you did it well i can tell you now there's a very good book out at the moment 
that does talk about Japan and the role of dragons. It's a fantasy book, but it's very much inspired by their culture. Uh, maybe we'll get to that one day. The Priory of the Orange Tree. Oh. Ah, okay. Wow, I, I just learned something about Priority Orange Tree. I had no idea it had anything to do with Japan. So, um, yeah, dragons represent, like, the quintessential nature of, like, a magical monster. It's dangerous. It's, it's, it, it represents, like, the very peril of going on an adventure is going into the dragon's cave to, to steal its treasure. Can I propose the flip side of that, though? What do you think about the dragons that people ride? What's your opinion on how to chain your dragon? Uh, Game of, you know, Song of Ice and Fire, uh, Elric as well. Seeing them instead of mm, mm. that with creatures, but also a great metaphor for weaponry. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's all part and parcel. Like, I don't think that dragons all necessarily have to be like the antagonist of a story. And I think the aesthetics of dragon riding itself is like is really cool. You know, like that's one of the big appeals I had and why I loved reading Aragorn so much when I was growing up. Um I, I think that's completely it's completely cool. So let's put the dragons on the list. Geordie, I'm happy for them to go alongside vampires for their influence and a sort of cultural stamp. Would you want to disagree? How would you No, not at all. I think that's a very fair place and also also very fair because like vampires who I think are in A tier. Um I think, you know, they are so broad and they can be so different depending on what story you read that um it makes sense just to put them there with all, all their strengths. And, um, you know, actually, i got to say, I, there's a soft spot in my heart for unintelligent dragons. Like, oh. I think the most compelling ones are obviously going to be ones that you can have a conversation with. But I think there is something to dragons which are a bit more mysterious in, in what they're thinking, like whom you can't communicate with. I've always liked like, Even it. if they have, like, a dragon language, but humans can't speak it because we just don't have the right anatomy i've always enjoyed uh the sort of the wilder dragons maybe you see in a in so your D setting that you're right just the fact they're just the wild beasts but they can have an element of like magnificence to them also mm-hmm. a, an apex predator if you want to see them that way yeah duncan you want to bring us home you got any more left for us oh geordie i do have another one for you and it's from a very specific mythos Started by a specific author. However, it's definitely mm-hmm. grown over the years since then. And sure. I must openly admit that I haven't actually read um, a lot of the original author's stories that tackle this mythos. A lot of it, their stories that I okay. have read have actually been uh, about other things. Maybe they lightly allude to it. Okay. But it's a really interesting mythos. Something that I think has uh, developed beyond the author's original writings. And I think can be sort of praised separate to their work. It's a mythos that inspired a very good role-playing game. Uh, okay, I think I see where this is going. It's the Cthulhu mythos, Geordie. Okay. Okay, I think I have to just sort of reject this one. <laughs> I'm Whoa! Really, yeah, like, we talked about vampires and um, and dragons being very broad. I mean, this is too broad. Do you now? Yeah, like... There's all sorts of really weird creatures in there, but a lot of them are just like, they're completely different from one another. Do you feel I've just gone, and for my next pick, Dordie, I present to you the 5th edition Monster Manual. 
Sure, yeah, like? exactly. I think that's a pretty apt example of I think what you just laid at my feet. Okay, I'm going to be very specific then. And I'm going to zoom in on the title of character. I'm going to pick off Cthulhu. Okay. And I want to nail on just the one part of the, the characterization that I think is interesting above all else. And that is, this is the monster that doesn't care. Sure, sure, yeah. This is the monster that, if it awakens, it's over. That there is no fight, that this is the beast that's all about just letting it sleep on. I I like that. I like the idea, unlike the, the something like the God Hand. Because although the God Hand in uh, Berserk, and, or, and to an extension Vampires, another really good example of this, they make humanity really important. Even though a lot of their characterization of them going, humans, humans mean nothing to us. Mm-hmm. They care a lot about humanity. With vampires, we are their food. You care a lot about your food. With the God mm-hmm. Hand, all their schemes are to manipulate humans. Humans are put at the centre of their stories. Sure. Um, I like the idea of us just not mattering. You're, We're not special you're, enough. You've, you've made a good argument for this because you have caught on to what is fundamentally the best idea behind the entire mythos, which is the idea that humans do not matter. And I feel like the reason why it is so broad is that there are a lot of examples, which I can't exactly give direct examples of, but you have things which are essentially like vampires. Like, they prey on humans. They eat humans. And therefore, they like vampires, they actually do care about us. They need us to sustain themselves. But by focusing on that one example and that one monster, you kind of hit the nail on the head. They represent human insignificance. I think this is an idea that often comes up um, quite time time again in sort of uh, mythology, and especially when you deal with works. Um, I've really felt this for some reason when we were reading about uh, Malice, and in that book there's sort of a a god Mm -hmm. and Satan allegory. And sometimes you always just think the universe is wide and huge. Why do they care so mm. much about the politicking of like human kingdoms? Like that's such a small scale. If you're a vampire and you can live forever, why aren't you in a sci-fi world? Why haven't you just gone to bed and go, okay, I'm just going to set the clock for 300 years. I'll get up when mm. the spaceships are ready. I've never quite gotten that vibe. And it's the same thing I look at Take um, when you look at that berserk, like, what do you do when you've won? Okay, I think that's that's part of the question that I, all those monsters sometimes throw up. Uh, even with like a basilisk, I get you're just a wild creature. Uh, dragons, same thing. You can you can be like a wild animal. They're just living their own lives, getting their gold. Yeah, you've got these big immortal beings. It then doesn't seem to make as much sense within that the context of the human experience. Whereas what uh, the Cthulhu creature does. And the mythos is expanded. Is it sort of rejects that principle? Humans don't matter. No. You know, they're not even video wearing. We're messing about with them. Here's my question for you, Yeah. Obviously, complexity, whatever I called that section, nuance. I can't. Remember. What is it? What did I even say? Not a clue. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, compelling. Compelling. That's it. Compelling is quite high because it has this big it represents a nihilistic threat the idea that we are insignificant 
and we don't matter and we're just waiting for the stars to be right and then we're done that's all we got but he's also very dangerous big as a mountain again like the giant just very big and powerful therefore hard to destroy is cthulhu actually that scary the idea yes he represents is very scary he represents cosmic horror as a whole, and the idea that you don't matter. I kind of am stepping um, into the, you know, into the compelling category, though. You know, like, the idea behind him. Is Cthulhu, the cuttlefish dragon man, is he scary? Fish can be scary. Well, H.P. Lovecraft was sure as fuck scared of fish, but I'm not scared of fish. I think they're very tasty. Um, I kind of think that... Maybe it's the damage has been done to the Cthulhu brand by so many t-shirts that shows Cthulhu, like, hitting his alarm clock saying the stars aren't right yet. Maybe he's been a bit overplayed. But yeah, I kind of feel like he himself is not that scary. Like, he's literally I... asleep throughout, throughout all of them. Like, in a way, if you're going to make a new Cthulhu like, series, it would basically be an alley for something like climate change, like, or an asteroid coming to hit the Earth would be a better example. You know, something you can't stop. An asteroid would be a very good example of uh, something that's on a ticking clock. Which is don't. Thank you, let's not think about that one. Uh, An asteroid would be a very good example. You could uh, replace the idea of Cthulhu with an asteroid on course for Earth. With Godzilla. I don't agree with, let say, Godzilla. But I think... The idea of, um, I don't think of Godzilla, just because we engage the Godzilla mythos, you you can fight Godzilla. Um, You just build a giant robot Godzilla. No one's ever built a giant robot uh, scene, and this is a problem. Because the thing is, I mention uh, Cthulhu as an idea, and uh, what he represents, but I admit at the start of this, I haven't read Call of Cthulhu, and I haven't actually read... Yeah, he gets owned. He gets... He gets knocked out by a Norwegian man in a boat. It's it's not... I think it's very hard to bring that idea, that kind of cosmic horror, that nihilism, to a character like Cthulhu. It's very hard. Cthulhu's works because he works in culture and is a bit more standoffish. Having to actually write a story around him, he has to basically not be present. Or the threat of him has to be just there. Yeah, and, 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 and I really can't stress enough, Duncan, that as someone who has read Call of Cthulhu, uh, Call of Cthulhu is not a scary story, like, in the slightest. Like, the idea of Cthulhu is kind of, um, is, like, a compelling idea. Like, into what he represents, as I keep saying, but the actual story about how you get there is full of stuff that just isn't scary. And it's just full of bad ideas. Like, Call of Cthulhu is, is a bad story. Like, the thing you're supposed to be scared of is just black people. Like, you're, if you're not scared of black people, it's not a scary story. Okay, well, that's going to need to be unpacked on a future episode, but yes. It sure is, and I'm, I'm willing to go to the mat with Howard Phillips Lovecraft, that little spindly fuck. But, no, like, I, I, I can't score him. I can't give him an S, an S tier. No, I would accept that. In fact, as we've had this conversation... I've actually dropped, like, I've really looked at what was my name. I said, oh, the Cthulhu Mythos. Duncan, that's too broad. Oh, Cthulhu then. And then I talked about the idea. I'm happy for Cthulhu himself to go down to maybe B. 
wow, I was still willing to put him at A. Like, um, I, because he is, like, he does score high in terms of, like, danger and the, com- and the compellingness. And, I, like I said, a bit played out in terms of actual scariness. Again, I don't think my brain would melt if I saw Cthulhu. Like, someone I could name. I'm just built different. Uh, I hear you. But I really want to make Cthulhu suffer now for being a uh, sleepyhead. So, if you're willing, you're I'll put him down. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a roar as hell line, though. With strange eons, even death may die. That's pretty fucking good, right? <laughs> yes, but that isn't Cthulhu. Mm, okay, whatever, whatever. <laughs> it's just a stupid tier list. And now for your entertainment, Duncan will recite the prayer to Cthulhu. Cthulhu Magana Cthulhu Lea Magana Nagulu Fatakin. Cthulhu. Fungu Magana Cthulhu Rila Wukahanagan Fatagan. Thanks, Duncan, but I think it actually goes. Okay. What's the board look like? Fortunately, Duncan has been writing it all day. That I have. So, starting off, our lowest. Good, he was. I thought he wasn't. So, starting off, starting in D tier, because uh, dragging the head of a chicken is funny, the Basilisk. Moving up to C, and we have, we have several at C. We have the Medusa, we have Thak, and we have Giants. I think it's a mix match between (laughs) some that are very compelling, Thak, uh, Medusa, versus not being very threatening. Mm -hmm. Up against giants who are very threatening mm-hmm. but aren't that compelling. There are not a lot of examples of really well-written, compelling giant. We gotta, we gotta look for him, Duncan. I think we, we do. Him. Now to B. So two real surprises at B. I was not expecting this to pan out. Um, Cthulhu, who I generally thought would go higher. Well, I, I made some persuasive arguments about this. You one. did. I think it's a good to show that actually, although the idea and sort of the mythos behind the character, the actual written character, maybe falls a bit short. Um, a mm-hmm. big plus for a book that we were not the most kind to, Tallow Men, coming in yeah. there, in B tier. They were cool creation. That's a good idea. I cannot yeah, fault yeah, it. No question of that. That book has other faults, but the Tallow Men were not one. A tier. Two in A tier, and I think they're the most classic and iconic creatures uh, yeah, we can no know. No surprise that you guys are A tier. This is what I imagined putting to them when I was putting together the idea of the tier. Okay, so that's Vampires and Dragons. Mm. Oh, there needs to be a there series about vampires and dragons. Vampires riding dragons. Vampiric dragons. Vampiric dragons? My god. Do they drink the blood of other dragons or or do or any blood? Oh, it has to be other dragons. Oh my gosh. And then S tier. Maybe, maybe that's what the next maybe that's what the next Empire of Vampire book's about. <laughs> and the final one, the only S tier for this episode, the God Hand from Berserk. And I didn't, I didn't choose them. <laughs> I know, I thought you were true. They represent both the compelling humanization and the sphere that they are sort of all-knowing and playing destiny. And they just look very scary, which we did not emphasize enough. No, they look very, um, uh, Hellraiser. Very big Hellraiser oh, yes. look. Oh, I think that brings to close our monster tier list, Geordie. 
Hooray, we did it! If you strongly disagree with any of the opinions expressed, that's okay. You're free to be wrong. In fact, write in and tell us your wrong opinions at uh, is this just fantasy podcast at gmail.com. Uh, tell us why you think we went wrong. Tell us if there's a monster that you think would have so hit S tier and you would have wanted us to know about and the work it comes from. Also let us know. I think there's going to be a lot of Cthulhu fanboys out there. They wouldn't be that happy about it being put in B tier. Come uh, Cthulhu under Edward Cullen. Yes, I sure did. Maybe you should write a <laughs> YA romance novel by Cthulhu and I'll reconsider his position, Doug. <laughs> All right, I think that's it for us for this week, people. Sure Thanks for listening. I've been Jordy Bailey. I've been Duncan Nickel. Bye. So long.